Amen. Hey, the last announcement, I just wanted to give you guys an update on my dad. Most of you guys know Joe Frechette. Uh, last Friday, he had open heart surgery, quadruple bypass surgery, and you guys were praying for him. And the way it went down is Monday last, not, uh, yeah, I guess Monday last, he had a heart attack at his house. He didn't know it was a heart attack and went to the Newport Hospital, didn't feel good and was rushed to Salem. And then by Friday had quadruple bypass surgery. And by Friday, he was healing and Saturday healing. And then he came home on Monday last. It was so rad, such a quick turnaround. I went to his house and saw my mom drive into the driveway and I got to hang out with Pam Nelson for a little bit, a couple hours first. And as my dad drove in, neighbors started to come out of their house bringing food. And pretty soon we opened up our own food cart. There was so much food, you know, selling all this food. And Lindsay brought some and Paulette brought some. And Monday was such a sweet day. And my dad began to recover Monday and get around the house Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And then Friday, it was an interesting day just a couple of days ago. Friday, I was actually in Tillamook with my son, Noah. He's had a first wrestling tournament up there. And so we were there with the whole family. And towards the end of the day, you know, wrestling has coming to a, a, a stop. And I was kind of re kind of fueling myself after yelling and screaming all day. So I was eating good wrestling food and nachos and hot dogs, you know, and kind of stuffing my face. And, and I was watching wrestling and my phone rang in my pocket, kind of buzz, buzz. And I, I pulled it out with nachos on my face. And it was my dad. Grandpa Joe was calling. And so I kind of sent it to voicemail. It wasn't the time to talk. It was loud and cheesy and all the rest. And about five seconds later, my phone rang again and it was Grandpa Joe again. So this time I wiped off my hands and I answered. I said, hey, Dad, how's it going? He said, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going okay. He said, I don't, I don't feel great though. This is Friday. I don't feel, I feel like I'm kind of going backwards in my recovery. So what do you, what do you mean, Dad? So I just don't, I feel kind of like I did on Monday when I had the heart attack. I just kind of feel like I just don't feel right. I think I should go to the hospital. I think Arla should drive me to the hospital. And I said, well, Dad, I, I think that's a good thing. You should go to the hospital. But maybe you shouldn't have mom drive you. Maybe you should call 911 and have them drive you, you know? Like, this is what they do, you know? Just tell them you feel like you're having a heart attack. And you might not be, but tell them you feel like it. They love to hear that kind of stuff, you know? And I said, Dad, have you ever been to the ER and checked yourself in? They got a back door, bro, you know, for the, for the ambulance. And, and my dad said, that's a great idea, son. I'm glad I called you. Thank you for the wisdom. I prayed for him. I hung up the phone. About 31 minutes later, I got another phone call. And it was my mom this time, Grandma Arla. Grandma Arla was kind of going through a, a situation. She said, the ambulance is here, son, and they're loading them up, but dad's having a seizure right now. I don't know what's going on, and it, we need to pray. And I was able to walk with my mom through that as she saw her husband seizing up on the gurney as they wheeled him out. And I began to rejoice in the fact that she wasn't driving her car from Walport to the hospital in the nighttime, and that the EMTs were there to take care of him. And they rushed him to the hospital, and they checked his blood levels and his blood levels were really low he was about three pints of blood down which makes you feel pretty crappy so he didn't feel good they began to give him fresh blood a couple bags of blood later he was back to his old self making fun of people and ordering popcorn you know and doing all the rest and where's the blood going they didn't know and so they took him that night to Salem and he's been in Salem and then this morning they did one of those things where they shove a camera down your throat and start to look around and at 10:38, my mom texted me and so they found an ulcer that was bleeding. They were able to repair the ulcer, and he's now recovering right now. So, then at the end of the 9 a.m. service, a couple came up, a family, brand new here Dustin, Erica, and Scarlett. I'd never met them before, brand new to the area, just moved here two weeks ago. They sat in the back during the 9 a.m. service. And they introduced myself here and he said, hey, Luke, my name is Dustin and this is my daughter, Scarlett, and my wife, Erica, and we just moved here. And, 
as you were telling the story, I couldn't believe it. And he took his hat off, which didn't mean anything to me. He said, I'm the EMT driver that went to your dad's house and rescued him. I was there. You can clap because it's crazy. So awesome, the small connections. So I just, uh, I say all that to say this, my dad is uh, doing well, as far as I can tell, getting the treatment he needs and getting the care he deserves. Thank you guys for praying for him. Everyone's been asking how I'm doing, how they're doing, giving us some uh, extra grace and slack, which I'm gonna also need today. It's been a roller coaster of the last couple of weeks. Let's spend one more time in prayer before we open up God's word, pray for my mom and dad, and pray for us as we get into God's word and get God's word into us. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name once again for the family that we have here in South Beach and in Newport, Walport, Lincoln County. Lord, I thank you so much for Dustin and his family and just moving here and saving people's lives. And uh, how cool is that? I thank you for my mom and dad being in Salem right now and Lord, that they've been able to identify where the blood was going and pray that that would have been taken care of in Jesus' name. And my dad would continue to make strides of recovery, Lord, and that he would continue to be strengthened as well as my mom. And Lord, we thank you that we can look to you in all things, whether physical or spiritual. And so right now, Lord, we look for our own hearts to be bypassed. We look for our own hearts to be unclogged. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name as we jump into Judges 17 and 18, Lord, it's a pretty crazy story. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd give me discernment and wisdom to teach it as, Lord, it needs to be taught. But more than that, give us discernment and wisdom to hear it as it needs to be heard. And we thank you, Jesus, that your word is alive and active and doesn't return void, but it accomplishes that which you set it out to do. So do work, we pray now. We plead the blood of Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles and open up to Judges 17. I saw a friend of mine coming out of the restroom in the hallway during the break, and he says, I'm excited to hear what you do with today's text because it's a weird story. And I don't know if you guys read ahead yet, but you're going to agree with my friend as soon as we get into the text. We're going to be introduced to a bunch of new characters today. We're done now studying through the Judges of Judges. 12 judges in all. We've studied all of them. Some of them are duds for judges. Some of them are heroes like Shamgar and Eglon and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon. These are the good judges. But now we're not studying judges anymore. But listen, it's as if we're going not chronologically through the time period known as the judges, but these next five chapters are not chronological at all. We're going back in time. We don't actually know when this happened. Most believe it was at the very beginning of their taking over of the promised land right after Joshua had died. It would be kind of like studying all 46 presidents of the United States of America. You get through chronologically, and then someone asks, did anything weird happen when any of the presidents were in charge? And you would all say, heck yeah, every time, every person, there was weird stuff happening all over the place. And so these next five chapters, two stories specifically, are weird stories. This week, it's gonna be difficult. Next week, you're gonna throw up in your mouth just a little bit. It's gonna get even worse. So this is kind of our run-up course. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read chapter 17 in totality, but I wanna prepare you for the characters we're about to meet. You're gonna meet a guy named Micah. Micah's a young man. His name means like the Lord. And unfortunately, he's going to try and be like the Lord. He's gonna set up his own system of religion, his own system of worship. He's going to make his own decisions. This is the way we're to worship God. This is the way we're to interact with him. For those of you who've been around the block for a while, you know that God actually tells us how we're to meet with him, what we're to do, what we're not to do. And Micah doesn't really take those things seriously. Instead, he makes it up as he goes. This is so important that we understand this because we're going to call this and boil it down to brass tacks and call it humanism. 
Humanism is when a human does whatever he or she wants to do, whatever makes them happy, whatever meets their pleasure centers, whatever's the most expedient, whatever's the most convenient, whatever's the most pragmatic, whatever's the most sensual. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to tell myself what to do. Humanism, and this is prevalent, not just as a base decision, but in every false doctrine or false philosophy, it is rooted in humanism. You and I don't want to be guilty of this, by the way. We want to make sure that our Christianity isn't rooted in humanism, which is horizontal, but is rooted in relationship that is vertical. This is the big idea. It's a lot of text. We're going to go through 44 verses. It's going to be crazy. But what you need to hear today, what you need to ask yourself today, is my religion based on a vertical or horizontal plane? Is my religion because if your religion, religion is not bad, as long as it does this, as long as religion leads you to repentance and then to a relationship with God. This is what our religion is to do every single day, all the rest of our lives. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I don't want to justify myself. Have you ever tried to justify yourself to the Lord? <laughs> eh, don't do it. But instead you repent. Lord, I did it again. Lord, I need your grace and mercy again. Lord, would you show me your way again? Oh, yes, daughter, I will. Yes, son, I will. And God picks us up time in and time again, and he leads us to himself. Now, religion that doesn't lead to repentance and relationship, instead, religion leads to all kinds of other things. People want respect. People want a religious experience. Sometimes people want riches. We want comfort. We want pleasure. All of these things are base natures in each and every one of us. Nobody here gets out of this sermon without checking your heart and saying, Lord, what am I doing? Micah's a good guy. Listen, he's trying to do the right thing the wrong way. You know how slippery that is? Because when we try and do the right thing the wrong way, man, we're real tempted to justify ourselves, aren't we? What's the, I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm trying to be kind and generous and benevolent, but I have to lie a little bit over here to justify it. Like, what, what are you doing? So you're being kind and generous and benevolent. You're being giving and sacrificial, but you're lying about it over here or maybe even stealing from this thing over here in order. And there's ways that we deceive ourselves all the time. Micah. Well, they're also going to be introduced to Mama Micah. She doesn't have a name, so we're going to call her Mama Micah. And Mama Micah, she didn't raise her boy very well. She's also kind of corrupt, and we'll see her. And then Mama Micah and Micah, they hire a priest. They hire a pastor for themselves so they don't feel so bad, and he runs the show. And those are our first three people we're going to be introduced to today. Let's just go ahead and read it, and then we'll unpack it verse at a time. You guys ready? Okay, okay. I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready yet. It says, now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. Quick historical tidbit. The Ephraimites are the worst. You guys know this, right? They're the worst. This guy comes from the worst of the worst. The Ephraimites gave Jephthah a hard time. Remember when he won his battle? They're like, well, why didn't you call us, man? We're going to burn your house down. And 42,000 of them died. Remember when Gideon won his battle? It was the Ephraimites who complained about his leadership and complained about being left out, complained they didn't know what was going on. It was the Ephraimites. Go even further into their history when Joshua gave all of the inheritances to the tribes, like, here's yours and here's yours. And the Ephraimites said, here's yours. And they had their arms crossed. They said, it's not big enough for us, you know. And Joshua said, well, get a chainsaw and cut more trees down. He told him, take as much as you want, you big babies. It was the Ephraimites who always complained and were never happy. And I find that interesting in my own life that if I'm a complainer, if I'm never happy, if I'm always disgruntled, always dissatisfied, I wonder where that's going to lead me. I wonder what kind of person that's going to make me. 
So it doesn't surprise me that Micah dwells in this area of Ephraim. By the way, they were dwelling where they shouldn't be. They had been crowded out by the Amorites. God had given them the, the land and said, dwell in this area. But when they looked around, it was tough. It was difficult. And so instead of fighting back and DTNRT, doing the next right thing, they acquiesced and said, you know what? We'll just stay here. Not, there's nothing more sad than a Christian or a church or a family that gets crowded out by the things of the world and doesn't take all of the inheritance that God has planned to give to that man or that woman. Does that scare you a little bit? It scares me. It scares me good. How much does God want for you? How much does God want for me? How much does God want to do in our lives? And yet be careful. Examine the log in your own eye. What in the world right now is crowding out what God wants to do? These guys shouldn't have been where they were at. We're going to see that come into play in the next chapter as well. Be that as it may, this is where they're at. This is what's going on, and it's only going to lead to things getting worse. Look at verse 2. And it said, and he said, Micah, to his mom, mother Micah, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying in my ears, here's the, well, even, let me start over, even saying it in my ears, well, here's the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Stop right there, eyes up here. Okay, parentingfails.com, right here. <laughs> Evidently, Mrs. Micah, Mama Micah, had 1,100 shekels of silver, which is around $10 million, okay? Maybe $5 million. When you get into 5 or $10 million, it's all the same to me, okay? 5 or $10 million, this is a lot of cake, and it went missing, and Mama Micah was mad about it. She began to say, wherever that money's at, whoever took it is cursed. And Micah had the 11 million bucks in his back pocket. He's like, oh, crap. I'm the one who took it. Now I'm going to be cursed. And so he went to his mom. He's like, hey, Mommy, remember that 11 million bucks that you cursed? Darn it. I took it. And he pulled it out. When Mama saw it, she said, oh, honey, boys will be boys. And she blessed him. And kind of just swept it under the rug and let it go. The corruption and justification is out of control here. Remember, they're way off grid. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're up in the mountains of Ephraim. They're not down in Shiloh where they should be. They're not on the coastline, but they're up in Gentile country. This is what's going on. She switches gears quickly and says, oh, you're blessed. It's cool. I'm going to forget about it. Look at verse 3. And so when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mom, his mom said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord. There should be a period right there, but there's not. She keeps talking. To the Lord for my son. Well, which one is it, lady? I mean, strings attached. She's like, I want to give all my money to the Lord. Well, my son, this is crazy. I've been in the church world for a long time now, and most people give gifts just to the Lord. Our church is such a generous church, such a giving church. Rarely, if ever, rarely, if ever, do people give with kind of strings attached. She has strings attached. I want to give all my money away, but I want to make sure it goes where I want it to go. To my son, it gets worse. Another period should be there, but instead it says to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Son's lucky day, all the money's going to the Lord through him in order that he might get a couple carved images and graven images. All of this is going from bad to worse. You guys know the children of Israel were commanded by God to be different than the rest of the world. 
The rest of the world loved carved images and graven images and molded images. This is how the only way they worshiped God was by making up their own false gods. And so God in heaven said, guess what? You can't make me, I made you. I'm the real God. Don't ever have a graven image. Don't ever carve anything because that's what the world does. Our relationship is not horizontal, it's vertical. It's a relationship. And that's what sets us apart, which is so cool, by the way. If you're a Christian here this morning, your relationship is supposed to set you apart and is supposed to be attractive to the rest of the world that is worshiping lesser things, that is worshiping money and pleasure and temporal realities. But we live in America, don't we? And so we're real prone to worshiping money and pleasure and temporal realities because we're the land of the free and the home of the brave and it's flowing with milk and honey here. Be very careful. The most valuable thing about you, the most valuable and treasured thing you have is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing about you. You could lose your health. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your business. You could lose everything. And if you have Jesus, you still have everything you need and more. But if you have all those things and don't have Jesus, if you have wealth and you have riches and you have experience and reputation and power and you have pleasure and relationships horizontally, but you have not a relationship with God, you are bankrupt and destitute and empty. And yet we're so prone to these things, are we not? We want to just get all we can and can all we get and then sit on the cans what we do. Well, this is their plan. This is their idea. They're trying to do the right thing the exact wrong way. He gets this money back. Look at verse five. It says the man Micah had a shrine. Did I read verse four? Thus he returned the silver to his mother. And then his mother took 200 shekels, verse four, of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image, a molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household idols and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Stop right there, eyes up here. He now makes an ephod, which is like a priestly robe. You know, he's like, I want to make sure nobody forgets I'm a priest. I'm going to dress like a priest. So he had, orders it on eBay.com, you know, and he gets his ephods or sport. And I was like, whoa, dude, you're a priest. I didn't know you were a priest. He's like, I know, it's crazy. And he makes himself a golden image and a carved image and a shrine. And he sets up this whole deal. This is like Insta Pop up church like we did it we're in church all the while the lord's looking down and say what are you doing they're doing the right thing the absolute wrong way you know why this is happening by the way look at verse six this is very telling for the next five chapters in those days there was no king in israel no leadership and therefore everyone did what was right in his own eyes stop right there eyes up here we need to be told what to do. Otherwise, we're going to do the wrong thing. It's just the way it is. I don't know if you got to that place in your life yet where you just say, Lord, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, I want to be a part of your agenda. Lord, I want to be a part of your mission. Lord, you need to write your will on my heart. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Because when I'm in charge, I get us all in trouble. Lord, what do you want to do? And when you finally get to that place where you don't want to just make up your own rules, but you say, Lord, I'm pretty sure you created everything. You sustain everything. You fund everything. You know everything. How about you decide? Now, this is crazy because the whole world is in rebellion right now, us included. Did you know that right now on the globe, there are 10,000 distinct identified religions on the globe? 10,000 different groups of people came together and said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do it this way. And 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 they've identified themselves all distinctly and uniquely. 10,000 different groups of people making stuff up. 
Now, the top four religions of those 10,000 are Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. As a matter of fact, those groups make up 92% of the population. About 15% of that is irreligious people who say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in anything. And the rest of those groups, 9,996 groups come from 8% of the population of the globe. Only 8% of the population is super cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, just making up weird stuff. But it's something, and I say all that to say this, we're studying a 3,500-year-old story. It's like, what are you doing, Micah? What are you doing, Micah? We're all doing it. Our whole nation, our whole culture, our whole globe, men and women everywhere are deceived, self-deceived, replicating and perpetuating the deception to other generations and saying, this is what we believe. This is how it goes. And I love when I talk to somebody about what they believe. I always ask them, why do you believe that? What made you believe that? When did you become a believer in whatever you believe? And then when I find out a little bit more of their history, I say, why do you think that person believed in it? Where do you think that came from? Listen, and I love going to the origin of philosophies, the origin of thinking, because as you peel back the layers, you continue to go a little bit deeper, you'll eventually find cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, crazy stuff going on, except, listen, in Christianity, in Judeo-Christianity. As you continue to go back, you find more answers, and you find more, more reality, and you find more sense. And I say that because here's the deal, Christians. We live in a slippery slope time period right now. The waters are moving very quickly. The Bible predicts that as the days get darker, there'll be a great deception, that even the elect will fall away, that there's gonna be battles upon battles for truth and darkness and light and, and, and life. And you and I need to have our feet firmly planted on the foundation that doesn't change. First Peter 3.15 actually says it this way, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Always be ready. Why, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe that? Why do you reject some of the ways of this world? Why do you stand firm on the ways that God has given to us when the rest of the world is going crazy as we know? As a matter of fact, Christianity is the largest religion uh, in the world today, about 2.32 billion people, uh, followed closely by Islam, 1.9 billion people. They predict in the next couple of decades that Islam will catch up with Christianity and eventually Islam will succeed Christianity in popularity. I don't know how that's happening. I don't know why that's happening. It does kind of encourage me a little bit that 2.38 billion people identify as Christians. They've read the scriptures. They've kind of checked it out and said, I believe in that. Are they authentic Christians? Are they accurate Christians? I don't know. Probably not all of them. Is their religion leading them to repent and then to walk in a relationship with the Lord? I hope yours is. Or is your Christian religion leading you to want riches and respect and all these other things that Micah and his mom were led to do? Because the world loves to make stuff up. As a matter of fact, put that slide up there for me, Dave. This is just a couple of religions that are kind of flowing around. You see Christianity at the top with the cross, and then you see Islam, and then you see Isis and Hinduism, Judaism, Baha'i. I can't tip, I can't pronounce that one. Buddhism and Jainism, Wicca, Unitarian Universalism, Sikhism, Taoism, Thelema, Tenrikyo. That sounds like a meal you're going to get at Momiji right there. Shinto, all these crazy things. I love the one on the second row, third from the left. It's got like an E and a K. That one recently was started in 1965 by a guy named Paul Twitchwell, and he started it in Minnesota. Because if you're going to start a cult, why not start it in Minnesota? You know, what a horrible place to start it. And it's called, uh, I'll, I'll just try and, uh, it's called ec 
Echinacar, Echinacar, and what they do in this particular religion is they get together and they sing to one another and they primarily sing uh, the consonants H and U together, which I'm not going to attempt it to do. And as they do this, this creates a sound that allows the presence of God to then permeate your being and you enjoy God in that way. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Minnesota, but the, the presence of God is not there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I lived there for three years. He's there in the spring and the summer, but it gets weird in the winter. It's crazy. And as I was studying this out, I was like, Lord, what, am we, what are we learning here in, in Judges? And what's Micah and his mom doing? And, and more importantly, what am I doing? I, I don't think any of us are going to be guilty of joining a false doctrine or false religion. But I do think that we can find ourselves maybe assuming that we are doing it right when in actuality we're doing it wrong. That we're a very religious Christian group, a Christian bunch. And I take this type of lesson seriously, especially as we're about to lose this warehouse. So grateful for the warehouse. It's going down soon. Don't know when it's going down. We're moving out. God's given to us land. A new building will go up. What does God want to do in South Beach and in Lincoln County? Well, he's not going to do anything until he does something in our hearts. He's not going to do anything unless he has access to our hearts. And we see him as the God of the universe, not just the God of the universe, but the God of Luke Frechette, the God of you, the God of me. And as we find ourselves repenting daily and enjoying sweet times of refreshing and fellowship and then walking in relationship instead of looking for all the silly things that we're prone to look for, which Micah and his mom were all getting into because they didn't have a king. They were doing everything was right in their own eyes. Guys, it gets worse. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 7. Oh, man. It says, now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah, and he was a Levite. And he was staying there. Well, this man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. And then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. Stop right there. Eyes up here. A new guy shows up. He's not named. He's a Levite from Bethlehem. He's a priest, not from the tribe of Aaron. So he's not a high priest, but he's from the Levite uh, tribe. So he is in the priestly lineup. So indeed, he's a traveling pastor. Moses had given them allowances and freedoms to kind of settle and serve right where they were. So he can leave if he wanted to. We don't know the backstory, but evidently he's disgruntled and dissatisfied, wants to find greener pastures somewhere. So he leaves the present church he's serving at to find a bigger, better church. Man, be careful, ministry people. I remember when I first moved here 13 years ago, Sandy Shones pulled me aside. Sandy and Jim Shones used to own this building. This was their building. And Sandy pulled me aside and said, Luke, we've been praying for a pastor. We've been praying for help. I'm so glad you're here. She hugged me tight. And she said, please don't hurt us. And I looked at her. I was like, I don't think I'm going to hurt anybody, you know. And I actually didn't know what she meant. I thought she meant don't preach crappy sermons. I was like, I'm going to do my best not to hurt you, you know. I'm going to do my best. So I'm going to preach my best. What she was saying is, is, don't just leave us. Don't hurt us. And people would ask me when I first moved here, how long are you going to be in Newport for? And I was like, what do you, what, I don't know what you mean. I'm, by, I'm, by, I'm building a house. I'm here. This is where I'm called here. This is where, and, and, and I just believe, and I, I say all that carefully, because I don't want to criticize God's moving in another family or another minister's life. God does move. Okay. But I believe that he'll do that in tandem with confirmations not just one or two, but many confirmations as God moves his kids. This guy's, I would believe, disgruntled, dissatisfied, and possibly even, listen, on the verge of deconstructing. This is a big term in today's day and age when men and women are raised in the church and they're wondering, well, I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to deconstruct and then build my own religion and my own philosophy. Careful. Be very careful. 
I got stories to tell, but don't have the time to do so. We're going to keep going. This guy's on his own journey. He shows up to Micah's house. Micah's a popular guy. He must have had an Instagram following or something. This guy shows up there. Look at verse 9. And Micah said to him, hey, where are you, where are you coming from? So he said, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I'm on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah said, hey, dwell with me, bro, and be my father, and a priest to me, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver per year, and a suit of clothes, man, we'll set you up fine. It's about $100,000 a year, new duds, he gets to look all fly, you can be my priest and my father, and they're setting up this whole system. Verse 11, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. Oh, that's so cool. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and he lived in the house of Micah. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is the second person that Micah's consecrated. Micah didn't have the authority to do this. Can't be just going around saying, you're a priest, and you're, you're a priest, you know? He can't do that. And he makes his son a priest first. Nepotism. You got mama. You got Micah. Now you got little little junior here. We're all just running the show. And then a real priest shows up. He's like, hey, sorry, son. You can't be my priest anymore, but you can be the youth pastor. And he kicks him down to JV. Like, this is all messed up going on here. And look how Micah decides to discern it. Oh, this scares me. Look at verse 8, uh, 12, 13. It says, then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Stop right there, eyes up here. I don't know how to teach this to you guys so well. I know how to discern this for myself because being in the ministry, we can so often look at what we need to be real ministry. Man, as soon as we get projectors, as soon as we get a bus, man, as soon as we get a sports ministry, as soon as we get the singles ministry, as soon as we go online, as soon as we have an app, as soon as we have a drummer, as soon as we have you fill in the blanks and so many ministers and ministries are susceptible to trying to pad around their ministry and then eventually they say, now we're a real ministry because we've got all these components when that's not how it works at all. And as a matter of fact, you could examine South Beach Church and so could I and say, okay, we've got this and we've got our nonprofit status. We own land and we have all these things. Like, I think we're doing great. And we're like, hey, that's fine. Those are all fine. Those are all the right thing, but don't do it the wrong way. Luke, how's your relationship with me? How's the congregation with me? Are they repenting? Do they know who they are without me? Are they desperate for me? Are they hungry for me? When people come to your church and they're on the outside looking in, are they welcomed in? Do you make a place for them, for the hurting? Jesus said specifically, I came for the sick, not the well. Jesus went to the leper colonies. Jesus went to the hurting communities. And I ask you that question. I ask myself, are we trying to just set things up so it's so perfect and pretty? Or are we making room for what God's heart makes room for? Guys, it gets worse. Let's keep reading. You guys ready for this? A whole nother chapter. We're doing it today. There's no third service. You guys aren't going anywhere. Ushers locked the door. It's okay. It's okay. We got donuts. Verse 1. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. We now see that again. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance, or for until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. Stop right there, eyes up here. Same story as Micah. They were in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, but it was their fault. The Danites did have their inheritance. But when it was given to them, it was crowded out by the Amorites and some other people that made it difficult. But did you know that when God calls you to something, it's your call to be married. It's your call to be single. It's your call to be in the ministry. It's your call to be in this position that if it's difficult and you D-T-N-R-T, you do the next right thing and you step out on the water, you know what God's going to do? He's going to back your play. My pastor put it this way. You do the motion. 
and God will give you the emotion. You got a hard marriage? You got difficult things right now? What does the Bible say to do? Well, I know what the Bible says to do, but I don't really want to do that. I get it. I get it. We got a hard neighbor, hard situation, hard relationship. I don't want to forgive them. They're wrong. That's exactly why forgiveness was invented, dummy. To forgive people that are wrong. You don't forgive people that are right and justified. You forgive people that have blown it. Forgiveness and love is crazy. I don't know if you guys know this yet. Forgiveness and love is the most valuable resource in the entire world. It never fails. Money will fail. Your health will fail. Love and forgiveness. It's from God. It only comes from him. Truly will heal relationships every single time. It's crazy if we do it. But we're the Scrooges. We're the ones who put our wallets in our pocket. I'm not going to love that person. I'm not going to do that. My point is this. The Danites were told what to do, but they didn't want to do it. And so because of that, they found themselves crowded up north near Lebanon and near Syria, near the Golan Heights, near Gentile area. So don't believe the hype when it says that they hadn't been given their inheritance. They had. They just didn't want to fight for it and take what God had promised them. Look at verse 2. It says, so the children of Dan, oh, they're all messed up. They sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshetol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, go search the land. And so they went to the mountains of Ephraim and to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. Like I said, Micah's a famous pastor. He's always got this whole thing going on. People know where he's at. They want to buy his hoodies. They show up there. Look at verse 3. And while they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, hey, who brought you in here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? I don't know why they recognized this Levite. Maybe he was famous too, had a big Instagram following also. Or maybe it was an accent that he had from the Levitical tribes. Evidently, though, they're putting it together like, whoa, Michael, you got the whole thing going on up here. We're looking for a place to, you got a Levite? Where'd you get a Levite? We've been looking for one of those, you know. And they ask him how he got there. Verse four, the Levite said to them, well, thus and so Micah did for me. He's hired me and I've become his priest. Man, that's a pretty sweet deal. So they said to him, hey, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you and with you on your way. Stop right there, I appear. I would not have this priest pray for me. I don't know about you guys, you know. Hey, will you pray for me, bro? Like you're all messed up, but what could, what could go wrong? So he asked these guys to pray for him. Are we going to have a good time or a bad time? And he's like, dude, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. It's all yours. We have to see this kind of prosperity preaching going on here. It's going to be fine. You're absolutely blessed with these five spies get a priestly blessing from this hireling guy, don't believe the hype, and they begin to then go the exact opposite way that God would have them. Did you know the Bible says that in the end days, Christians would heap up for themselves teachers, counselors, psychologists, philosophers, leaders, and directors that would tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear? I'm going to say that again. In the end days, the Bible says that Christians would look for people that are going to just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me I'm okay doing this thing. Don't, don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't want to repent and restore my relationship upwards. I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me that I should do these things. We call it itching ear preaching, where I've got a tickle in my ear. I need my shoulders rubbed. I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be convicted. I don't know about you, but when I go to the gym, okay, I need to be offended. I need to be challenged. 
I need to be counseled to do the right thing. If I went to the gym and the gym trainer's like, hey, there's some fake weights over here. They're spray painted with 45 pounds, but they're not. They're actually 10 pounds. Don't tell nobody. That's not going to help anybody. So too, with the word of God and the Lord, when we go to him and say, Lord, what should I do? What should I do right now? What should I believe? How should I act? What should I do next? God will tell you, well, this is all messed up. It gets worse. Look at verse seven. So the five men departed and went to Laish. And they saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. And there were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. Then there, they were far from the Sidonians and they had no ties with anyone. And then the spies came back to their brethren Zorah and Eshetel and their brethren said to them, what did you see in your report? And so they said, arise and let us go up against them for we have seen the land and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter and possess the land. And when you go, you will come to a secure people in a large land. For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. Stop right there, eyes up here. Now we see these five spies discover the village of Laish. They look down there and they see these people dwelling in safety. These are Sidonians. They're not Canaanites. You could argue that the children of Israel should have pushed these guys out earlier anyways. These are bad guys. Or you could also find other verses in the Old Testament say these are the kind of people dwelling there that they should have adopted in and taken care of and let live in the land under the Jewish customs. You could have either argument. They're all about to die, just to let you know. The latest people are just living their lives. They're not bothering anybody. Super cool people. Kind of like Avatar 1. If you guys ever saw that, just kind of having a good time. You know, I, I don't know. I should have said that. Anyway, it's just like just people doing their own thing. You know, just a bunch of weirdos in, in Laish. But they're all about to be smoked. Guys, where are we? What verse are we in? Verse 11. And 600 men, oh man, of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah and Eshetel, armed with weapons of war. And when they went up, they encamped at Kerjath Jerim in Judah. And therefore they called this place Manadan to this day. And there it is, west of Kerjath Jerim. And they passed there to the mountains of Ephraim. And they came to the house of my God. Man, he gets visitors all day long. And then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, do you not know that there are these houses and in these houses an ephod, household idols, carved images, and a molded image? And therefore, consider what you should do. So they turned aside and came to the house of the young Levite and to the house of Micah and greeted him. And the 600 men armed with their weapons of war who were, in the children of, who, were, who were of the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. And then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up, entering there. They took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. And the priest stood at the entrance of the gate with 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. You guys ever been broken into before while you're still home? Yeah, that's what's going on here. Five spies show up, knock on the door. The priest answers. He's like, yeah, welcome to church. Oh, you guys look mad. And they walk in there and there's 600 bad guys that want to kill somebody. And these five spies take the ephod. They take the priestly garments and they take the molded images and the carved images and they take the shrine and they take all this. And the priest is standing there like, what's going on? Dude, easy come, easy go. Okay. When it's built on corruption, it's going to corrupt and fade away. He asks them this question. It says in verse 18, when these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image and the ephod, he asked them, what are you doing? And they said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. 
it is better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe or in, in a family in Israel. So the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and household idols and the carved image and he took his place among the people and then they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is crazy. Micah's out doing whatever Micah's doing. This priest he answers the door. They take all this stuff. He interacts a little bit. What do you guys do? He said, look, bro, put your hand over your mouth. You're gonna die if you don't do it. You know what you should do? You should come with us and be our priest. Why would you be a priest for just Micah when you can be a priest for the whole tribe of Dan? He's like, you know what, man? I do like church growth. This is a good story. And he decides to go. And so he jumps in line with all the little kids. He's like, let's go, VBS. This is awesome. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Look what happens next. Poor Micah. I say that condescendingly a little bit. Verse 22. And then when they were a good way from the house of Micah, well, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house, they gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. These guys are mad too because they knew that the church was split and things weren't going good. So they try and stop all these commandos and they called out to the children of Dan. That's the bad guys. And so they turned around and said to Micah, hey, Micah, what ails you that you've gathered such a company? So he said, this is Micah's response, you've taken away my gods, which I made. I could teach a whole sermon on that. Isn't that funny? You took away my gods, which I made them. Pretty sure they're not gods, bro. If you made them, like what's going on here? You shouldn't have to defend your own God. That's not how it works. God defends us. He says, you took away the gods, which I made and the priest and you have gone away. Now, what more do I have? How can you say to me, what ails you? And the children of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned back to his own house. It's just so sad. Micah started with his mom in corruption, in idolatry. Him and his mom had this idea. Let's make a shrine. Let's do this. Who's going to be the priest? I don't know. One of my kids? Let's just make one of my kids the priest. We don't know what to do. This, we're doing the right thing the wrong way. And it's going great. And all of a sudden, they get a traveling Levite. Oh, this is so cool. This is so great. And they make up all this stuff. And as they're making up all this stuff, eventually this idolatry not only crumbles in their fingertips, listen, but it goes on to plague an entire tribe. Did you know that in Israel, in the tribe of Dan, you can go in there, I've been there three times, and you can go to these same areas where all of this idolatry was happening. All of these sketches and all these things that they had kind of erected are still there. This is the most pagan area of all of Israel. And I say that to say this, what you do, what I do, what we do matters for the next generation. Micah and his mom probably didn't know that this was going to be a problem and a plague for the rest of the children of Israel until the captivity, as it says. Guys, it gets worse. Verse 27. So they took the things Micah had made and the priests who had belonged to him. And they went to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, and they struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. I'm going to have Pastor Toby come up and prepare to lead us in a song at this time. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no ties with anyone, and it was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there, and they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. 
Verse 30 says, Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Stop right there, eyes up here. They continue to go down this path of rebellion. They continue to go down this path of humanism and justification until the captivity. And you who are Bible students know what this means. You who are Bible students know that eventually God would have to punish his children because of their spiritual apostasy, because they didn't trust in him. They didn't do what he had told them to do the right way. Now, here's the challenge. Read the last verse with me, and then we're going to have some closing thoughts. Verse 31 says, So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Stop right there, eyes up here. 80 miles away, the real temple was there. 80 miles away, there was the real Ark of the Covenant, the real meeting place of God. 80 miles away, they were worshiping and sacrificing and things were being done rightfully. And a relationship was being forged and founded with Jesus, with God, with the children of Israel. But 80 miles upward, people were just making it up as they went. Why don't really want to do that? That sounds hard. That sounds sacrificial. That sounds difficult. And I want to remind you, anything that's worth anything in your life right now has been hard. It has been difficult. It has been sacrificial. And I'm so encouraged you guys are here today. It's kind of rainy out there. I don't know if you guys know that. I was driving to church this morning at 745 on the bridge. And I was like, dude, this is bad. It's bad. If people came to church today, you guys said, I wanna go see, I wanna go see Jesus. I want to go worship. I don't want to miss it. I've missed too much of it in my life. And I don't want to miss it anymore. And I want to encourage you if you're here today, it's because God loves you and he's drawing you to himself. But this is not a game. This is not a game that we are playing right now. You don't just choose to be a Christian and somebody else can choose to be a Buddhist. You can choose to be a secularist or a humanist. It's okay. We're all going to the same place. That's not true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and there's no way to get to the Father except through me. Jesus said that, and they killed him the very next day. When they killed him, they buried 